0: On Two FM. Those are the dulcet tones of Sophie White, who you know if you listen regularly to this podcast. To this. Radio show. And also, if you listen to her podcast, you will know that voice as well. She is the host of one of the hosts of the Creep Dive, one of the hosts of Mother of Pod, and a brilliant writer. So she, you've got loads of ways to be familiar with Sophie. But today, Sophie is here in her capacity as an author because last week, her new book, Corpsing My Body and Other Horror Stories, uh, horror, horror shows, horror shows, sorry, jazz
1: hands. I know. got really
0: cocky there and i was like, I don't need to look at the, the name, I know it. Um, My Body and Other <laughs> Horror <laughs> Shows came out last week, and uh, yeah, we're going to talk about. How has it been? Like you and I are good friends. So I know that the lead up to the release of this book Mm.
1: was an extremely anxious time for you. Oh, my God. Yes. I have only just about stopped sweating the bed every night, pals, like full sheets changing. In the middle of the night, that's gross, but like if you're not familiar with me, you're about to be too familiar with me. So that's yeah, exactly. Me. Um, <laughs> let's start as we mean to go on. Yeah, no, it was, um, oh yeah, really, really hard kind of coming up to release. Um, I suppose anyone who doesn't like know the book, uh, it's a collection of essays. Um, in, like uh, focusing a lot about like my mental illness um alcoholism, uh, grief and um, so it's just all stuff that feels quite radioactive like especially I think my kind of mental illness and addiction stuff very particularly as a woman and, and then even more specifically as a mother feels like a Kind of dangerous thing to put out there into the world for me Mm. very much, and like there's definitely been so I've been working on this book for three years, been working with Tramp Press, my incredible publishers and editors, for three years. And there, I feel like I've come through many levels of kind of acceptance of the terror, yeah, with this coming out. So, like, there was definitely a point last November where I was like, okay. How much money do I have? Okay, I've got the advance and then I could do kind of maybe 25% interest. Okay, and I'm going to approach them and say, I'll pay back the advance and 25% if we can just scrap the project. Mm. Um, and I really, really, really felt that for like, you know, for a couple of weeks. And then, you know, I got through that phase and was like, no, no, this is fine, this is fine. Mm. If something doesn't scare you a, a little bit, is it worth making? Is mm. it worth putting out there? Mm. Are you actually pushing anything forward if you're not challenging yourself with putting it out there obviously I come from an art background and like you know nobody makes like kind of just nice safe art that you know that's just decorating yeah so um I guess that's what I kept trying to come back to with when I was coping with the kind of just real terror and like I said I mean this is sweating the bed nightly terror and nightmares
0: what were you afraid would happen like when you were imagining you know judgment, but it, mm. obviously it was
1: beyond judgment. What were you afraid of? Um, I suppose, and I'm even afraid to say this in case this alerts anyone, but I was really afraid of my kids being taken away from me and I feel like that's kind of, I suppose some people could listen to that and be like, that's ludicrous, what is she talking about? But it felt like a very real possibility to me mm. and um, you know, I suppose it is because I didn't have a whole lot of examples of young mothers talking about alcoholism mm-hmm. and I've really tried to not sanitize that, those experiences from my life in the book. Yeah, um, And I think that like over and over I asked like my kind of closest people, do you think I'm okay? Do you think that someone's going to intervene with my children? So <laughs> as much as that might sound kind of like OTT, I think that was just like the most it's the honest answer to this question yeah. that is what I was so frightened about and then I suppose like in a kind of a more um you know my ego way you know I was just oh god like I mean it's obviously terrifying having a feeling and then putting it out there in public mm. and like you know obviously I myself as I'm writing the work kind of I'm constantly berating myself for being cringy and needy and and all of those things that it's just so horrific to be um you know, in, in this world. Well, uh, vulnerable, basically. Yeah. Um, so I suppose as much as I was kind of battling my own inner critic, um, I also was quite afraid of reading the judgments of others. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, know?
0: yes, absolutely. I mean, it's,
1: you know, when you see it in print and it's confirming everything you've kind of thought about yourself, that's quite a tough thing to be confronted with.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and obviously I think the nature of us as as human beings is that like, you know, you'll get like, 500 messages from people like really thanking you for doing something, for saying something that meant something to them too. But your mind will snag on the person who said you were cringy or needy.
0: Yeah. It's very hard, and of course, people can tell you all the right things, and you can have all your friends and family telling you not to pay attention, and that you know those. Oh
1: yeah, you know, that's but that sick. doesn't matter. Yeah, it's <laughs> no. I mean, it's, it's impossible.
0: It's a very difficult thing to to write about yourself and put it out for judgment because that's essentially what's happening. Um, yeah. And I'd like to go back um to what you said about your alcoholism mm. and that you hadn't seen very many examples of women like you talking about their alcoholism, and I think that's that's true and fair. Um, mm. And, and I know that for you, you were a bit worried about me reading um, your writing about your alcoholism because I had I as a child had an alcoholic mother. Mm. Um, what well, I I I was not it didn't upset me or or get me down. What I felt was that you were really hard on yourself. And when you when you say here, you know that you were worried that people would take your children away from you. I still feel like you are really hard on yourself. Why do you think you can't forgive yourself? for having an addiction and also being a mother at the same time.
1: Um probably because of um like the culture that we have kind of like I suppose been been living in. It's like a I suppose it's the climate that mm-hmm. we live in is uh you know, I think uh women are very harshly judged. Mothers when you become a mother it's almost a carte blanche for you know, society to judge at will, judge freely. I don't know if you are, is there an invisible sandwich board that you're just walking around with going like, please denigrate my parenting efforts. All feedback and criticism welcome because people will come up to you in the street. And I mean, it, it runs the gamut of like, you know, some stranger being like, that child's cold about your baby in a buggy and you haven't said or done anything with yeah. this person. They've just inserted themselves into your day. To obviously, like, just the kind of the, the just much darker stuff of, like, you know, forums on the internet of mums just absolutely dragging other mothers, um, mm. you know, largely for being human. Yeah. Do you know? Um So I suppose there's a lot of that, I think also as well, when you're like uh, setting out to kind of talk about a personal experience of a very big topic that a lot of people have come uh, into uh, contact with either personally or through family or friends. I mean, it's just that it's hard to kind of make sure that everyone knows you're not trying to represent every experience. Mm. You're really just trying to represent this one very specific experience. And I suppose when I talk about subjects like that, like alcoholism in the book or even say like sexual assault, I feel like a huge responsibility to like just not, I suppose, in talking about my experiences, either like minimize other people's experiences of similar things or make them feel judged by how I judge myself and I know and it's a, it's a hard kind of line to kind of to sort of tread. I think that um the thing with kind of addiction is that uh, a sort of a very sort of uh, outsider kind of perspective could be that it's a selfish thing and mm. um, that you're you know you're choosing, you know like, partying or or having fun over your family and I mean anyone who's lived in addiction like it is the loneliest existence is the most isolating existence I just feel like nobody would choose that for themselves if you really knew how it felt and you know to 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 live like that your life is so confined it's so narrow your addiction is like a parasite Mm -hmm. you know Um. It's, I suppose, it's just, um, it's very hard, I think, to talk about without stirring up a lot of, uh, you know, just feelings in, in everyone because yeah. there's people who've really, really suffered from the fallout of the people in their lives who have substance abuse problems. And like, I just would hate anyone to read my book and think I'm ignoring that. Yeah. And um, so I suppose that's a big part of, you know, I suppose the difficulty and then I think the other thing is that like when you're trying to write like you know a work of creative nonfiction, you know it's not about um, the kind of the preaching and the kind of objective view of something what you're really trying to give someone is just like allowing them to very fully step into your life and step into moments in your life Mm. and and so I think that when I'm writing, I'm fighting to not self-edit mm. and to you know to not put a caveat at the end of every single sentence. Yeah, yeah. That is, this is just me. It's not you. Yeah, I, you know what I mean. It's so it's, yeah. it's tough. It just feels like a big responsibility.
0: And I think you're right about the, people's perspectives on addiction and that kind of idea of it being selfish. I've definitely heard that narrative myself, mm, and yeah. you know, having had a lot of experience of living with addicts and loving addicts. Mm. Um, I know that I have been angry with them many, many times, but I have always understood that if there was a choice involved, Mm. there's no way, there's no way that my mother, my biological mother, who I know adored me and loved me until the day she died, there is no way that she would have chosen to give up my brother and I and not raise yeah. us herself. Yeah. There's no way she would have done that if it hadn't been that she felt, not not even that she felt, she just did not have a choice but mm. to choose her addiction. You know, that's even the wrong phrase, but like her addiction had her in its grip. She did not have a choice.
1: That's it. You're living in a vice and like, it's about as pleasant as that sounds. It is, it's really torturous. Mm. Like, you know, um, I think at one point in the book, I kind of um, tried to describe kind of managing your addiction and trying desperately to keep up a front of normality so that nobody will question you and, and potentially ultimately point out that you're an addict and therefore. Cut off your air supply, and I, I kind of described it as being like setting in a f- setting a fire in your home, mm. and devoting every second and moment of your life to trying to keep that fire contained. Yeah. Um. And yeah. And I suppose as well that kind of um sort of view of of it being selfish translates, I think, very much over to kind of mental illness too. Yeah. Um. In that, like, you know. I suppose content warning like I've gone through times in my life where I've been suicidal and um, you know it's it's quite difficult to cope with obviously literally just those feelings um, and then it's very difficult to cope with sort of prevailing attitudes that that is a choice like a quote unquote choice that somebody yeah. would make or a weak choice that somebody would make when it is it is a symptom of an illness and um, you know I suppose we talk so much now about my mental health yeah. and I, um, I have to call it, as a mentally ill person, I feel quite excluded a lot of the time yeah. from the mental health conversation.
0: Well, we talk about a kind of a very particular kind of mental health, don't we? We talk about a certain type of depression and a certain type of anxiety and we don't tend to talk about maybe some of the other, you know, infinite areas of struggle.
1: Yeah, I mean, I even think just taking the actual phrase very much at its face value, mental health, is literally excluding also anxiety and depression. They are illnesses. And I think it's a little bit of a dodge to make people kind of a bit more comfortable with talking about something that is relatively, you know, new on our kind of, like, the cultural landscape. Mm -hmm. Um. And yes, I know exactly what you mean, because obviously I think the mental illnesses that are getting more attention are, um, you know, types of depression, anxiety. And I'm really glad they are getting the attention. But I guess I always kind of think when they do the kind of mental health awareness weeks and things like that, I feel like we need a mental illness awareness week, actually, because I think mental health is really, really vital. And I think it's something that you can actually um, have a hope of affecting. You yeah. can affect your mental health when you are mentally well. Yeah. You can go for a walk and that really will help yeah. your mental health. But uh, when you're mentally ill, it's just a different story. Yeah. And it's a story I really would like a, an awareness week for, please. I'm going to petition for it. Yeah. But it's very much um, something that like I just really wanted to explore in corpsing and um, the book kind of charts um i suppose mainly the last 5 years of my life but even sort of the last for say like my first breakdown was when 13 years ago when i was 22 and i have had just episodes of really acute breakdowns in the intervening like decade you know and And you describe it
0: honestly like I think the way that you describe Mm -hmm. your addiction Mm. and your mental illness it it gave me an understanding that I have never had before and you describe it so vividly about um you know, you have an analogy about a a rotting baby um, in in connection with your addiction. And I have thought so much about addiction in my life and I've never felt like I understood it the way that I did when you, the way you wrote about it there. Mm. And you describe uh, in a period of mental illness, you describe kind of, um, you know, the disconnection that you feel from yourself and from reality Mm. really vividly. Yeah. Um, Like I I think people will take a lot from that.
1: Yeah. I guess I was quite scared about talking about some aspects of my mental illness because, because again, they're just still not kind of really out there that much. Like I talk about self-harm in the book yeah. and it was definitely an essay that I really wanted to bin. Mm. I was like, I don't want to tell anyone about this. Mm. Um, because I think self-harm still has this real baggage of kind of like, it's an, a teen angst thing. And then I, I suppose when I wanted to bin the essay, I, I was like, why do you want to bin this? You're embarrassed because everyone will think you're emo, <laughs> and um, and then I was like, well, maybe that is just the most important reason to not be in this. Yeah. You are a 35 year old woman. Like people, maybe need to hear that. Like 35 year old men and women, you know, are we're not sitting on the ground outside Asha smoking in like 1999. out yeah. like to anyone who remembers Asha, and <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we're we're in our homes and we are. Hurting ourselves because we have come up with no better way to channel um, overwhelming feelings. And you know, I, it was actually really recently that I even owned up to self harm to my psychiatrist. And myself and my, you know, because you can do a lot of these things without acknowledging what you're doing. It's the same with alcoholism. It's a lot of self-deception. And so, you know, I think I was about 33 or 34 the first time I ever admitted um, to the kind of self-harm. And, um, you know, my psychiatrist was really comforting. Like he was just really like... Like, I suppose, is it weird to say that it's very comforting when someone's like so blasé about your (laughs) self-harm?
0: No, I get that. But he
1: was just like, that's a symptom of your illness. And it was like, oh, okay. Like, there's just something about sort of getting that... I, I don't know, like it's not validation, but it is just an explanation, I guess you know well, it is for something so, that otherwise feels extremely wrong yeah. and and perverse. yeah,
0: it is so powerful though, isn't it, even just getting some saying something out loud, getting it out of your head. like yeah. the relief that that can give you is mm. is insane. and I know that's a big yeah. part of a lot of people's recovery um in addiction.
1: Yeah, I mean, that actual, the act of, like, opening your share in a 12-step meeting with, you know, like, just stating your addiction is, um, it's obviously something that's been, it's almost become kind of a parody now in our kind of just, like, culture. Like, I am a, you know, I've been a lifestyle journalist and I've definitely opened columns being like, my name is Sophie White and I'm a believer. you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I think putting a name to something is very Frightening but powerful. So like in kind of later points in the book, um, you know, I talk a lot about, I mean, obviously, you can probably tell from here in this interview, I have a lot of like pop culture runs through my veins, just like yeah. yourself, just like a lot of us. And there's a lot of movie references and I love horror and um, I just love all things morbid. And I suppose when I kind of started to look at the... The fact that I'd been sick for 13 years Mm -hmm. and very sick, like a sickness that was life threatening at times and still had no real sense of what it was, was quite frightening. And when I really looked at like, say, all the scariest horror movies you know, it's always the unnamed terror that is so frightening. The unseen, like as soon as they show you the monster, it actually kind of um, neuters it a bit mm. in movies. Um, you know, it's like the Slenderman, the kind of internet boogeyman. Uh, you know, nobody knows what he does, Yeah. actually. None of the stories ever detail what he really does. You know, he leads children away by the hands and like... That's enough for us. Yeah. The unknown is so so profoundly frightening. And so I kind of like I guess spoke in the book about getting a kind of formal diagnosis after, you know, so many years. Um, you know, last year, um, in the middle of pandemic, you know, mm. after I'd been hospitalized um mm. with the unknown mental illness, the unknown yeah. uh, you know, life threatening illness. And um it was very frightening, you know, he said um, you know, we think you have bipolar, and I suppose a lot of people have a kind of an illness boogeyman.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. You know, like if you've lost somebody to cancer, that's going to always kind of live in your body. That kind of yeah. very particular fear. Um. And I think I had kind of a, a the the bipolar was my boogeyman, and uh, then I guess putting the name on it, hauling it out for inspection, it gave this thing that had kind of mushroomed in my life and had seeped into every area and had affected every area of my life. There was nowhere in my life that wasn't untouched by this illness and to give it a name gave it boundaries and it actually gave it a parameter and I got new meds.
0: Well, yeah, I, I mean, mean, look, what more could you, you want? What could you
1: want? <laughs> it's great to treat an illness with the medication that's specific Absolutely.
0: to that illness. Absolutely. I mean, diagnosis, okay. like, it's not the same, but when I was diagnosed with cancer, it was after seven months of, of you know, yeah. doctor's visits. Doctor, I was calling it my mystery illness mm. for seven months because they just couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And there's a relief in Absolutely. this is the problem and these are the things that can help. Um, yeah. Sophie, we are out of time, which I'm just devastated by because there's so much more. I mean, I. I get to talk to you anyway, but there's so much more that I wanted to talk about in this context. But what I would like to say is that, you know, this is a book that obviously has, has subjects that have darkness, you know, mm. in them and around them. But you, there is beautiful writing about your dad and about grief and about relationships and there is, a, a story about pig's blood like you will laugh <laughs> um, <laughs> you will probably cry it is a brilliant read thank you so much for coming in to talk to me about it today Sophie White the book is Corpsing My Body and other horror shows Louise McSherry on 2FM